0: Welcome to Dev Bootcamp Live, the podcast where we help you level up so you become the best software engineer on your team or we help you level up to land your first engineering job. This is Juan Dizarazo. And this is Jared Potter. And today um, we're going to discuss something uh, very uh, very powerful and something that is going to help you truly level up, especially if you're new to the industry. So Jared, uh, what are we going to discuss today?
1: Yeah, so the topic today is titled... JavaScript best practices for the modern engineer. So through teaching, I've noticed this through a lot of with a lot of my students. There's a lot of foundational aspects of how do you build great JavaScript? How you know how how do you go about that? And it we go about that through these best practices. Now, a lot of these best practices that you're going to hear today might seem kind of simple at times, but these are these are the, the foundation for the pieces to build great applications, right? So we're going to be focused in on JavaScript today. We're not going to be talking about TypeScript. TypeScript, you know, at some point in time, if you're building a large enough application in a business environment, does make sense to use, uh, but today we're going to be just focusing in on, on JavaScript.
0: Yeah, let's let's keep it simple. Uh, Sounds good. Um, So, Jared, um, let's just start. What will be the first practice we're going to discuss today?
1: Yeah, totally. So, the 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 first topic I think that a lot of my students have struggled with is creating descriptive variable and function names. Uh, You know, a lot of the times I see students creating really short variables, uh, names like just A B C D or something like that, or they'll try to create like abbreviated versions of names, but I'm not, I'm not really into that. I prefer to have descriptive variable names. And honestly, even if it's a little bit longer, that's okay. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, the whole point of building these best practices is that we're in the future when someone else is maintaining this code, that they're going to be able to, to come in and understand it. So Juan, what are, what are some of your tips for how to, how to name variables or functions better?
0: Yeah, so uh, yeah, that one is like, it's so fundamental, especially, yeah, new server engineers, like they they start writing, um, and even myself, like when I started, like writing, you you try to write like minified for the machine, right? So I always tell my students don't write code for the machine, let the machine do its work, write code for humans, even if it means that you have a variable with. 20 characters, that's fine because at some point, right, this is going to be optimized for the machine, right, code for humans. So for variable naming, answering your question, Jared, um, it's very simple. So one of the things is, like, use consistent naming, right, that's fundamental. Uh, but uh, traditionally for JavaScript, you want to use uh, camel case for variables, for objects, right? Um, for function names. Um, and you want to use Pascal case for class names. Um, and, and that makes it easy because if you're building APIs when it serializes the response, then it's easy to consume it in JavaScript if you don't use underscores, right? Um, uh, another one, let's see, for well, for naming, don't use short names, right? Be descriptive, uh, write self document documenting code and we'll talk more about that later but uh but yeah like when you use a function name instead of saying function a and it does something and then the engineer has to figure it out if you write function say hello you immediately know this function says hello right somehow maybe a log maybe an alert we don't care we look at it right but but yeah definitely that's that's the good, good naming naming things is hard another one i like to tell my students is for example um have the the like like the not the type, but sort of the type. It can be part of the name, uh, but not not describing the type. So what I'm saying is not saying like. Um, Cars array, for example, no, not really. But like, what, what the, the implicit naming? It, it just means that, for example, if I say car, it could be a string or just one object. But if I do cars, it implies it is a collection. So, so keep so your good use of plurals and singulars will help you write a cleaner code and picking uh, better names. One of the hardest things in software engineering is naming things, and that's a, that's a fact. We have such a hard time naming things. So if you don't get it right the first time. When you find a better name, just refactor through your ID and get, get a better name. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, now just a couple bits to add to that as well. When when you're dealing with a boolean, so a true or false value for either a variable or for a function that returns a boolean, oftentimes you could use the prefix is. So you could say like is valid or you know is loading or you know there's lots of you basically could m- give it a name that will you know, describe whether or not it's going to be true or false uh, is one way. And another quick tip is that if you do have the opportunity to have someone else review review your code, that's a great opportunity to, you know, gauge its readability. Uh, hopefully it's going to be someone who actually reads your code and not just says, oh, yeah, it looks great, you know, hits merge, right? But getting that feedback really can help from a readability standpoint.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's really good. And, and that, takes, that takes me to like the next tip, right, for modern... The modern JavaScript engineer, um, one of our best practices. Um, because we, when we talk about naming and consistent naming, but like we, when do we do like one name or one other name, right? So, so like, um, there is like, there is style guides. So what my, my next tip would be like early in the project or when you start a project on day one, pick a style guide if you don't have one or your team doesn't have one or the company doesn't have one. And that also defines usually a lot of things like if you use underscore. Snake case, or if you use Pascal case, or how do you name things? Where do you put things? Uh, like different naming declaration. And they, they, if you use var or let or cons, like all those different things are defined. So there's different uh, guides, style guides out there for uh, JavaScript. So uh, one that I really like is called idiomatic.js. Um, That one, I really like it. Uh, Airbnb also has one. You can search for uh, Airbnb Style Guide and JavaScript, and I think they they have a very good one. And there's the Google one, which is like the the very classical one that I recommend that you read at least once. Uh, They have a very specific, super large one. It's it's like a lot of pages uh, if you read it, like if you were uh, to print it. Uh, So, But those will describe a lot of things. And the, the nice thing about a Style Guide is like, it not only says like, oh, just do this, just because it usually tells you the why, so you can level up and learn more good uh, practices when it comes to uh, consistent styling and naming conventions. Yeah, I so, know that's,
1: that's a really good idea. And how does that interact with things like ESLint or Prettier?
0: So usually the style guides, uh, they can be, uh, for example, they, they, it depends on the style guide, right? Some style guides are not compatible with tooling, but then that would mean we need to talk about now ESLint and Prettier. Uh, that could be our next uh, topic, but uh, I mean, our next item, but, but yeah, some style guides are not compatible with uh, all the plugins, but sometimes there's uh, plugins for, uh, for example, you, you pick ESLIN and you can get the ESLIN Airbnb plugin and stuff like that. And then you can extend it or you can customize it to match your style. Get. But it's just easy see that because this has been already done, right? You don't have to reinvent the wheel. So you can just find out one you like, and then see that is, uh, if it is consistent. The nice thing is like, for example, created and easily, like sometimes the style guides uh, cover usually the gaps that these automated tools don't. So the idea is like the style guide uh, is more like filling in the gaps. So that is like the engineer, you don't have to remember everything like, Hey, remember these 2000 rules. No, it's more like, Hey, look, do what the tool says, right? Do what Eslint says, do what Prettier says, and then when it doesn't apply, look at this We have these 20 items, right? For example, the names. The names Prettier Eslint is not gonna really help you. Maybe Eslint can flag it, but good names, that's a human thing, right? So, uh, so that's uh, so really like a combination of style guide and the, and, and those automated tools, uh, which we can talk about in a, in a little yeah. bit or next if you want to bring it up now.
1: Yeah, we'll 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 see if we get to it. There's I think a couple of other like really foundational things I'd like to get o- go over as well. So, I think the next uh, topic uh, for best practices in JavaScript would be functions. So, there's lots to talk about in regards to functions, but a couple of the aspects are you know, making sure that your function is doing a, I guess, a reasonable amount of work, okay? I think many of us have seen functions that are hundreds of lines long. If your function is hundreds of lines long, it's probably a lot harder to read and understand. It's probably near impossible to effectively test, a unit test, if you need to do that. So being able to be aware of, you know, maybe the first time through, yeah, you're you're writing a solution, you write a giant function, but then going back, being able to refactor like, okay, I can move this section into its own function. I can move this section into its own function. And it's just, it's really going to help with readability when, you know, when your brain is looking at a function, it doesn't have to keep track of all this context as you're scrolling through. Instead, you can look at it, you know what parameters are coming in, you're seeing what work is being done, and then what outputs are, are coming out. So just trying to be aware of not having your functions be too long. There's rules of thumb out there, like if your function's longer than like 10 lines or 15 lines or 20 lines, you know, I'm not gonna recommend a hard and fast rule, uh, but, but just be aware uh, of that because you know, when, when someone comes back to read and maintain your code, that's gonna be really helpful. Anything to add to that one?
0: Yeah. For me, it's like, yeah, between between 25 and 30 lines is like the sweet spot. Uh, I mean, if, if it is less, that's fine. But also like if you have a function that does too little, let's say you have a function that is just one line, the function is doing too little. Maybe you don't really need that function. So, think, so keep a balance. I mean, your function should be doing um, usually how I like to tell my students, like your function should do one thing and do it well. And that one thing could be maybe 15, twenty steps that 's fine, right, but make sure that if your function has more than thirty lines, maybe you want to consider splitting it up because it will it will have all the benefits that you just mentioned unit testing, readability, maintainability it can be um, you know used in isolation most of the times right so so but yeah no that 's a, that's a very good one because yeah. that will help you build better software
1: yeah, to continue going on with some some t- tips for working with functions as well is and one thing to avoid is getting overly nested within a function. So when we have things like for loops and if statements, and also when we're using a lot of the array functions like map or reduce or or filter, we can begin getting like deeper and deeper into this nested realm uh, in, in our functions. And, and the deeper and deeper you go, the harder and harder it is to, to read that function and to be able to maintain that function. So I strive to have it, my functions be as linear as possible, taking discrete individual steps. And some people might think that this is uh, overly verbose, but I I honestly find it incredibly useful for when I do have bugs in my software, Uh, I do have bugs in my software, you know, we're we're not perfect here, Uh, that it's gonna be a lot easier to see. So when I call a function, I make sure that I usually assign that to a distinct variable before I then use that variable. And that's another thing too, is if you're trying to pack like a function call within a function call within a function call on one line, you know it's going to be a lot harder again to debug and maintain that that code.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty much yeah, that's the the, the the depth of the of the function right of the function calls that you have like if you go to a function and then opens another one and another and another one right and you have 20 levels deep that's not really good code or maintainable code. So yeah, usually I try to keep it maybe up to two levels. Like more than two levels like I I rethink uh, my solution because that's going to be too hard to trace. I mean maybe your function is is out and maybe it's, uh, it, the boundaries of the function or the, the purpose of the function is not uh, established correctly. And maybe you need to rethink um, the, the way you're trying to solve the problem uh, because it can become very complicated. Um, yeah, no, that's a good one. And regarding functions, Jerry, like one of the things that, that has to come, if we talk about functions, we have got to talk about this and it's purity. So pure functions that, um, one of the things that really changed like, really help me level up, like, I went up so much with, uh, like, in my level when I wrote, write JavaScript was when I learned about functional programming. So, I recommend that you go read, uh, everybody listening out there, go and read about functional programming, often referred as FP, and that one talks, uh, that, that one, uh, one of the fundamentals is purity. So, in a nutshell, purity, pure functions is just functions that don't have shared state, they don't work with mutable um, um, references, right? They they don't mutate references. They avoid side effects, and just means that if you receive the same input a hundred times, it's always gonna return the same output a hundred times. It doesn't have external dependencies. So if you write functions as pure functions, you're gonna write your code is gonna be just so great. So so that's one of the things that when we talk about functions in JavaScript talk about purity not all the functions can be pure but if you are aimed to to have most of the functions pure you're going to have an easier time it's okay to combine with object-oriented programming since usually we program in an object-oriented uh world right uh but but keep that in mind um so what do you think of that jared
1: yeah absolutely uh pure pure functions as much as you can uh try to leverage them and yeah go go read as much as you can about them just to add a perhaps a more sim- a simplified example is like I'm, in JavaScript, when you have an object, objects are by, by reference. So when you pass an object to a function, inside that function, it, if you modify that object, inside the function, you are also modifying it outside of the function. And this is what we generally call a side effect because we're, we're modifying the external state of the function. And it just, it just kind of makes things a little bit more murky, a little bit more complex. It's not necessarily always a bad thing. There's times where it's necessary to do this, uh, but we try to avoid it as much as we can. We want our functions to be clean and linear is in, in what they're trying to perform so that they're easier to, to read and, and maintain. If you do need to like modify an object that's coming in, you'll want to clone it in some way, ensuring that depending on its depth, that you're using an appropriate clone function uh, to yeah. do that. But yeah, you never yeah, modify the for
0: that. you never modify the argument you're receiving directly. Uh, but you can always modify. You want to modify something external. What I was saying is critical, which is if sometimes it's necessary, right? You can Modify something external, but you can do it using, like, for example, this dot something, like an attribute inside the same class if you're working with classes. So then it makes sense that it's not modifying the argument, but it's modifying something external, but it's still a safer approach. You never modify directly because a side effect always leads to a box and box and defects as bad software, right? Um,
1: yeah. So- and, and I think, like like we said in last week's episode, you know, when we're when we're building on top of errors or on top of bugs, it's of harder and harder and harder to, 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 you know, open that up and to actually mm-hmm. find the root issue.
0: Yeah, you build on top of a lie and the moment you fix it, you want to expose a lot of bugs and issues. So so you don't, you want to avoid that early on. Um, so Jared, I'm going to take a break here and I'm going to share uh, with our listeners uh, and our audience. I'm going to share our Twitter accounts. So if you want to reach out, um, um, I'm avail- we're available on Twitter. So I'm on twitter.com uh, slash uh, Juan Lizarazo so that's spelled uh, j-u-a-n-l-i-z-a-r-a-z-o-g tweet at me get in touch and you know we can discuss anything javascript
1: yep and everybody can find me at twitter.com forward slash jared potter that's j-a-r-e-d-p-o-t-t-e-r and yeah please feel free to reach out to me send me a direct message i'd love to perhaps look at some of your code that you would like to have a little bit reviewed and how, how it might be improved. Feel free to reach out.
0: Yeah. And this week we'll tweet a little bit about, um, we'll tweet we'll tweet a little bit about like this topic about, uh, good JavaScript practices. And I have some links I want to share with you. So check out Twitter if you want to get access to them. Um, cool. So Jared, what, 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 what's the next tip, the next item?
1: Definitely. So the, the next tip is going to be to, make sure that you fully understand and leverage the truthy falsy nature of javascript i think that there's a lot of students that you know initially gain a grasp of it but they may not understand all of the different circumstances that you can use it so i guess what i mean by this is if you know in javascript we have this convenience where in a uh, a boolean environment a conditional environment if we say if and then we pass something into the parentheses there one of the nice things about JavaScript is we can just pass in a variable. And depending on the type of that variable and the value of that variable, uh, it it, it will evaluate to either true or false. And this is a really nice shortcut in JavaScript that makes it a little bit easier and faster to code. But making sure that you really understand all the different types and how they work uh, is gonna be crucial to writing great JavaScript. I think one that mixes people up at times is when they try to do it on a number And the number then happens to be zero, which then causes it to be false. Uh, So it's really important to be aware of what type is going in there uh, and and how it's being evaluated. But knowing how to do that well is gonna reflect well in your coding interviews because people, I mean, the interviewer will understand that you do know how to use truthy falsy and how to leverage it correctly. And perhaps there might be a situation where you need to, instead of just getting away with the abbreviated implicit condition, you might need to actually code the explicit version, right? With the triple equals or the exclamation mark equals equals for the not case. But yeah, just making sure that you, you understand that. And, and we've mentioned this before and I believe it was our JavaScript um, technical interview questions. But yeah, just go and, go and play with it. Go and you know, open up yourself, either stack blitz or just VS code or whatever and just kind of play around with different variables, different values and how they get executed in an if statement.
0: Yeah, one common, one common case where like this always gets people is uh, one common bug uh, for not understanding uh, truth or fallacy properly is that they have, for example, a number and they check if the number, right, for example, my variable is uh, total, and then they check, oh, if total, right, and then uh, they execute something and there's like, they expect to have a total, but sometimes that code never executes because the total happens to be zero and then they don't know why it's not running and it, because I have a number and it's because they don't understand that uh, zero evaluates to false uh, in a Boolean context. One easy way to know when something is truthy or falsy is that you can wrap it into the uh, Boolean um, um, native uh, function. So you just, is capital B, Boolean, open parentheses. Type whatever value you want close it and that's gonna cast into truth or false so you'll know if it is true or false you or another way use the double not operator the negate operator so you use like the exclamation mark exclamation mark and the value and that will show true or false so those are the easy ways that like myself I use that when when I'm not sure if something evaluates to true or false uh, uh, when especially when I have a lot of conditions and things so so that's one quick check I do
1: yeah no that's a really great tip to to know how to Interact with the the truthy falsiness there. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the for the next topic, this one's kind of small here, but um, the the variable prefixes that we that we look at so const, let, and var, right? Again, we talked about this in our former episode as well. But generally speaking, most of the time, most of your variables are going to be const, and only in a few specific situations where you need it to be let, will you then you use let, right? So the idea is if you're using const that variable is not intended to be reassigned and in fact you can't you'll get a javascript error if you attempt to reassign it Uh, if you do need something that needs to have the ability to change we use we use let Uh, and as we mentioned before we want we discourage the use of var due to its hoisting nature in javascript it's important to understand hoisting you might get asked that question in an interview of like why not use var and that is something to understand so definitely go read. Uh, more about these prefixes if you haven't already, um, but yeah, generally speaking, use const, use let. You know, I have I have a few you know friends out there who I've seen. You know, they'll use vars or they'll use lets for everything, and they defend it. And I'm, you know, I just I have to politely disagree with them in that, you know, if you're in a coding interview and you're using var, that's going to reflect bad on you. Most engineers are going to to, uh, you know,
0: look it down, not a, look down on it. Mm-hmm. In 2020, it's like, you shouldn't be using VAR anymore um, because we have tools to, so you don't have to do it. One of the things like for me to remember, like if I have to use VAR or const, right? I don't really think about it. I was like, use const. And then if I need to reassign, uh, usually the ID is going to yell at me, right? It's going to say like, hey, you cannot reassign this, this is a const, right? Or it's not going to compile. But uh, one, one easy way is like if we talk about a static analysis, I would say like always have a static analysis tool. So your IDE usually is going to have that built-in. It's going to tell you like, hey, this is not reassigned, change to const, right? or use what we talked about ESLint. So go to Google, type ESLint, L-I-N-T, learn how to set that up, configure it with your style guide, right? With the plugins. And that usually is gonna yell at you and tell you like when something should be VAR or when should something should be let or const. Um, and if you write VAR, it will tell you, hey, you cannot use VAR, use let instead, or use const instead. So a static analysis, definitely something you gotta use in 2020.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, one more, one more tip I have here, I have a couple more tips, but I also want to hear perhaps some of your top tips, one mm-hmm. is, uh, in, in, and this is kind of a general programming thing is when you have string literals in your code. And so a string literal is where, you know, you have double quotes or single quotes, and then you have some value inside, let's say you have it in an if statement, you're trying to check if this variable equals this string literal. When, that, when you have situations like that, a really good practice to do is to take those string literals and define them as constants at the top of your file. This way, you know that they'll never be reassigned, they'll never be changed, and it's also good organization to keep them all up there. There are so many bugs out there from what are called you know, magic strings, essentially is the term that you might hear out there. Of Again, it's just someone who's defined a literal string in code in the middle of it, and you know, you don't know where that's at or where it might might sneak up. So to help organize this, we can put them at, at the top of the file. Uh, you know, if you need a more advanced implementation of this, you can eventually put these in enumerables um, to represent them that way. Uh, but even but but just even in the short term, putting them at the top of the file, defining them as constant. And you'll also usually, um, there's a couple different stylings on how you'll name the variables. Uh, Some people will use capital letters and underscores for these variable names to make it really clear that they're, Uh, a specific type of variable a string yeah
0: so so constants yeah constants help you with uh normalization so you abstract those and you avoid typos like if you're typing a string everywhere right like you type like something everywhere like type is car 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 right then that means like it's a good sign that like hey this should be in a constant and because it's going to be normalized it's going to be self-documenting so your code is self-documenting and it's going to be centralized And, and 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 then if you want it on top of the file right it depends like is anybody else cares about this. If any other file, any other class, any other component cares about it, then you put in a shared constants file. And one thing I want to share is that uh, you would use enumerations because enumer- enumerables is a different thing. So enumerations is what you would use uh, for, um, for, um, for normalizing these variables. So, and this is like something for you to Google, right? For you listening out there, but like there's enumerables, Enumerations and enumerators, so don't get confused with that. So we're talking about enumera- enumerations, okay, um, and that that will really uh, help you abstract those uh, constant values uh, too. But no, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, one thing that I that 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 reminds me is that. When you are using like your code, you should never, when you, not that you talk about magic strings, your code should be declarative. Like for example, if you have dynamic uh, variable attributes, for example, you have some object, a square bracket, some variable, right? That changes the, the attribute and then closing a square bracket. And you have that like a lot in a lot of places. Like pretty much the rule of thumb for me and for many engineers is that if I cannot perform a string search, like and I can, if I cannot open my IDE, search for that string usage or that variable, right? And find it everywhere where it's used and I can delete it or change it. If, if you, like think about this, can I search this in, through my ID? Like, can I can, find all the instances for the same, all the um, all the uh, results? And if you cannot find it, right, that's a good uh, a good way to think that, like, that code is not good. You got to change it. You got to normalize it, or you're going to, like, no, don't use this magic there. Because sometimes we try to get magical and over-abstract, but then that's so unmaintainable. And it's okay to repeat a little bit more, right? To be more declarative. It's better declarative than imperative. So declarative code is always better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Juan, are there other specific tips that we haven't mentioned yet that you'd like to add?
0: Yeah. Uh, so common ones, for example, when it comes to tooling, right? Tooling always like makes your life easier because you don't have to think like, it's like, do what the tool says and then that's it. We call it a day. And if the tool doesn't say it, the style guide, right? So tools, Prettier, like search for Prettier, learn how to use Prettier, configure it uh, to meet your uh, style guide staff, right? Um, the uh, Prettier is going to automate the code formatting. So you don't have to think like, do I put this a space, a space, open square bracket or do I leave spaces between my curly braces when I do imports or do I, like you don't have to think that Predator does it for you and it takes just a second to do it or milliseconds or you can automatically just run it as you save file. So Predator normalizes how the team's write code, very powerful and popular tool in 2020. Um, another thing like that relates to uh, spaces. There's always the discussion between teams. Like do I use spaces or tabs? And then there's the fight? No, spaces or tabs, spaces or tabs. The answer to these, I'm going to give you the answer. This is going to be amazing. Uh, just pick one and be consistent. If you do spaces, two spaces or four spaces, that's fine. Stick with it. Do all your code consistently, including your HTML, your CSS, everything uses the same. Uh, And that's going to help with Prettier, for example, with automation to uh, auto-format that. But if you do uh, spaces and tabs and start combining, that is not good. So either go with tabs, either go with spaces, go with whatever the team has already established. For example, the TypeScript source code um, uses uh, tabs, right? Uh, But... Angular uses spaces, two spaces, right? So it depends, it's okay. Just don't combine them because that makes the code uh, consistent. And that has to be with tooling. And the big one I would share, the big tip in 2020, write unit test. Pick a testing framework, testing library. There's so many out there. Jasmine, Jest, uh, uh, DOM library. Um, there's like uh, Mocha and Sinon and all these other tools. Pick one, learn it, use it, okay? Always write code. And initially, because the the, the best code you write is code that you can unit test. If you cannot unit test a unit of code or a function, let's say what Jared said, a function with 4,000 lines that you cannot unit test, that code is not good. It's bad code. So that will force you to be a good engineer and write very good, clean, self-documenting, right, unit testable code. So those will be like the uh, three I can add right now. What do you think of that, Jared?
1: Yeah, no, uh, that's spot on there. Uh, one thing I would add is, that, I mean, a lot of times, you know, the, the, the way that we learn these best practices, or at least the best practices of, of your team is by interacting with them. And also just being, well, you know, two sides to it. One side is, you know, helping to establish best practices and consistent practices on your team, if you happen to be on a team. Uh, But if you're, I mean, and then if you're in the in the opposite case where you're coming into a team that already has established practices, you know, be be receptive and open to feedback from your team on helping get your code more in line, you know, as much as possible. You know, and this is a whole podcast topic on its own, essentially, like empathetic code reviews. But being able to, you know, both deliver feedback to somebody, but also being able to receive it and and realize that it's not, you know, they're not putting some sort of value on your worth, right? They're literally helping, generally speaking, to improve your coding, your ability to create great code. Yeah. So just being receptive to that, I think, is being important.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, that, that's good. Um, so one last, one last practice I want to share. Uh, we are, we're almost out of time. So the last one last practice I want to share, and if you have one last one, we can share it, Jared. But one last one I want to share is, uh, and it has to do with tooling uh, because tooling helps you write better code. It has to do with use module bundlers, use module loaders. Uh, usually uh, the reason for this is because many of the module bundlers out there, like Webpack or uh, Parcel, uh, they have, or um, even Rollup, I think using Babel, right? Babel. Um, they have built, resulting transpilation. Uh, So that means that you can use 2020 features, right, like private attributes, and it's going to transpile into ES5 for you, which is usually like more verbose, long, harder to understand using bars instead of let all that, right. But using module bundlers uh, helps you with tree shaking, read about that. I'm not going to explain it right now. But uh, that, that's like a topic on its own for another podcast episode. Or it uh, includes the transpilation where uh, you can use modern features, better code cleaner, and then it transpiles for you. Um, and that's other things for you. So, so in 2020, uh, you should be using, even for smaller projects, like if you have three files, three JavaScript files, it still is a good idea to use module bundlers or um, like Parcel or Webpack because they, they will help you write cleaner code because then the target, the deployable, is going to be uh, targeted to all their browsers. But you don't have to think about those things. Um, so that's that's my last one for, for today, Jared. Uh, do you have any other you want to add? No, I
1: don't. So I think we'll just jump into the recap here. Yeah. So uh, again, all these different topics that we mentioned here you can go and pick a few of them or all of them and go read a little bit about them. So we talked about how to create descriptive variable and function names. We talked about when you're creating functions, making sure that they're a good size. You know, I think Juan mentioned like 25, 30 lines max, uh, being able to break them up, making sure you're controlling the depth or the nestedness of the functions, making sure it's not getting too deep. Uh, We talked about peer functions, you know, and how, how you can, make your functions uh, more unit testable, more readable, more reliable. We talked about how to uh, understand and leverage the truthy falsy nature of JavaScript and how important that is. We talked about uh, variable prefixes, const, let, and var. Uh, We talked about um, style guides. Uh, Juan mentioned one called idiomatic. Uh, there's a few of them out there. And, and then in addition to that, also tooling, things like Prettier, ESLint, and becoming familiar with how they work, how the rules work, and how you might be able to adjust the rules to fit your team's specific needs. Uh, and don't get caught up in like spaces versus tabs like Juan said. Just pick one. And be consistent And, and, and that's really important
0: uh, Did I miss any there, Juan? Um, I think so, yeah uh, Unit testing, right? Pick a framework Always write unit tests Or pick a library Use a unit tests Cleaner code um, Also learn a bit About functional programming Because you're going to avoid Side effects You're going to write Pure functions We talk about pure functions You're going to um, be careful With mutable data, right? And there's other things That go to functional programming Maybe we can talk about it At some point point. Um, and, um, and module loaders Module bundlers uh, And that will help you to become a good software engineer in 2020 and level up to land your first engineering job or to become the best engineer on your team so yeah awesome uh, that's it for today so thank you so much for joining us uh, in this episode of dev bootcamp live this is Juan and this is jared potter thank you so much i will see you next week
1: see ya